Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. God is so good. How many of you believe that? It really is good. I do believe that. He's very good. He's proven himself to be over and over again, and he's going to continue to prove that because that's, that's all he can do is be good. As the psalmist wrote, you are good and you do good. I want to say that was awesome tonight, worship team. That last song about the Holy Spirit, woo! I think I could have hung out in that river for quite a while tonight. That was, that was really good. Excellent. You know what? You need to plan um, us doing a, on a Wednesday night, let's just do a worship service. huh? Worship and prayer and just, just dig in. Let's do that. How about next Wednesday? A week from tonight. All right. Rock on. What's that? No, 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 no. Next week. She can do it. We are now in, uh, in, our, in our Route 66 series. Hey, it's been, it's been declared from the microphone. It's, it's a done deal. So, um, uh, We are in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a very special very special book, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but um, this is Paul's letter to his favorite son. This is his numero uno son of the faith. He's, he's taught lots of men and fathered lots of men in faith, but Timothy is certainly his beloved of all of them, and uh, because he said that Timothy, there's no one like-minded like he is. He, he knows me. He says what I say. He thinks how I think. I mean, this kid has got it. So, uh, and now he's, he's coming to this second letter uh, to Timothy. We went over the first one last week, and by the time wrote, Paul wrote this second letter to Timothy, Timothy now has been pastoring in Ephesus for about four years. This has been about 10 years since he first met up with Paul, and uh, Paul took him on uh, his second and, and third missionary journeys, places such as Troas and Philippi and Corinth and and all over. Timothy was, was not unfamiliar uh, to the Ephesians when he settled there in Ephesus uh, to pastor there and having served there alongside the Apostle Paul for a period of close to three years and uh, on his third missionary journey. And so Paul wrote again to this young leader in the church at Ephesus to provide him encouragement and, and fortitude in the face of uh, the difficulties and trials that they that they were enduring at that time, and so he wrote Second Timothy from a very dark, dank dungeon of a Roman prison, um, just before his death in A.D. sixty-seven. The uh, Roman emperor Nero was the one who had Paul executed, and uh, he had at this time been slowly descending into madness uh, since his ascent to the throne in A.D. sixty-four or fifty-four, I should say, and uh, which is. This, this whole madness really took, uh, really showed itself in AD 64. That's why, that's why I got the dates confused when uh, half the city of Rome was burned by a fire. And uh, so uh, with all the residents of Rome in an uproar, the Christians became targets, convenient targets for Nero, uh, who was awful, awful to them, tormented them in the worst kinds of ways. And... Um, Paul was one of those caught up in that persecution and was um, beheaded by Roman officials soon after writing 
this letter right here. This is Paul's last letter written before his death, 2 Timothy. And um, it offers a picture of Paul at the very end of his ministry, just before his death. And certain personal details in the letter reveal a, a man basically settling his accounts and preparing for the inevitable. At the close of this letter, Paul mentioned a significant number of people, some who had done him great harm, uh, some who had abandoned him, who had wronged him, but others who had served faithfully alongside him. And uh, it's as if Paul's giving Timothy a um, state of the the church address and uh, updating Timothy on the current state of, of their acquaintances and friends so that after his passing, Timothy can know who to lean on and uh, who to watch out for, who to beware of amongst all those people that are named. Uh, some verses that you know from the book of 2 Timothy, one for sure, 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's a beautiful scripture, isn't it? Why don't we all just say that together? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And Huey Lewis put it all together when he said, that's the power of love. (laughs) That's still a good song. I listened to that song this morning. I was like, man, I like this song. Ever since Back to the Future. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. This is one you probably know too. Maybe not the beginning of it, but you'll, you'll catch on. Uh, when I get to the part that you know. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And watch this. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That's a strong, strong verse of Scripture there. God is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day, the day when we all see him face to face. How about 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. What's going to make you complete? The Scripture. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, Paul is specifically talking about the man of God as in that man who is serving and teaching others. Uh, in the church, uh, the, the pastoral role. But really, this, is, this truth is axiomatic. It's true for all of us, that the Scripture, are, uh, scripture is what's going to make you complete. Amen. The, the, the Word says you're complete in Him, right? In Christ, who in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I love that all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That book that you have in your, in your hands or in your phone or in your iPad or whatever it might be, is God-breathed. It's, it, it, is a, it is a miracle of the ages that God brought all of these authors together over centuries of time and made one book out of all of it. And all of it flows uh, in, in this harmony, and the harmony that brings it all together is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. As, um, as we know that, that all Scripture is God-breathed and all of it is inspired, we also have to understand that all Scripture we have to look at Scripture and how it relates to us and how it relates to us. We know that not all of it applies to us literally, right? We all understand that though it's all of God, yet there are places in the Scripture where it's speaking specifically to different people groups. 
And you have to know who they're talking to. The Apostle Paul is the one that's talking to you, period. I mean, he is talking directly to you because he's the Apostle to the Gentiles. And we can learn from the other places, and there are other truths that Jesus taught, Peter taught, James and John, and we look to them. But we have to look at all of those teachings through the lens of what the Apostle Paul brought us, because what the Apostle Paul brought us was not something that he made up. Jesus gave him this revelation to give to us, all right? So we're not looking to this man as he has the highest standard. No, that gospel that came to him came directly from Jesus Christ, all right, to us. So that gives it the authority, that gives it the weightiness, that gives it the the relevance for us uh, as Gentiles. But so we even even Jesus' teaching that he brought, we have to look at that through what through the lens of of this uh, New Testament reality for a Gentile. Because uh, as I've said before, I mean, just a couple of things that we can see the difference in where Jesus said, "If your right hand offends you, cut it off." Right? Let me. See. Has everybody got a right hand in here? Let me see. Come on, let me see the right hand. Has that right hand ever done anything offensive? See? So, so you're not really following Jesus' teaching to the core here, are you? Or had that right eye ever looked at anything it shouldn't look at or looked at someone the way it shouldn't look at them? Jesus said, if that's so, pluck it out of your head. But, but you know what? Praise God. Here we are. <laughs> Got all of, our, all of our parts. So we thank God that not all of that applies to us, even though it's all God-breathed. And sometimes it is for dispensations of time. We know that the law of Moses was fulfilled in the man, Jesus Christ, right? He, he, he with, when that law, uh, with that law, the, the, the Ten Commandments and those kinds of things, Jesus fulfilled it to the nth degree. And the Scripture says, now that which was contrary to us, hmm, according to the book of Colossians, he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. All right, so now that old covenant has passed away. A new covenant, a new and living way was ushered in by the Lord Jesus Christ. So all Scripture being God. So it's not that we, it's not my responsibility as a, as, as a pastor to preach the whole Bible. It's my responsibility to preach Jesus from the whole Bible. All right, you, you get that? Now that's the revelation. That's really what brings, makes the Bible come to life. Because right, if, if he isn't the centrality of it, if he's not the substance, then, then we're wasting our time. Then I'm just giving you rules and history and things like that. Hmm? But no, this word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. Uh, um, this, this next verse, 2 Timothy 2.15, is something that continually humbles me. This is something that I, I preach hard at my preaching students at Christ for the Nations. And that is, we have this, this is the preacher's responsibility. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I tell my students, you know what that means? That means you've got to keep your nose in that book all the time. You have to study that Bible so that you can know what it is actually saying. It's not picking a little verse here and there and building a doctrine around it. You've got to study this thing, know it, know it, know it, know it, because you have a responsibility to be approved to God, not approved to men. Prove to God to rightly divide that word of truth because we have a responsibility as teachers. There's a strict judge, stricter judgment for the teacher. <laughs> Lord, you, you, you knew that when you called me to do this, right? <laughs> so it, it, it is, this is something that stays in the forefront of my mind and heart all the time to rightly divide the word of truth so that you 
can grow up in the Lord so that you can be led in the right direction and see the truth and know the truth and be made free by that truth. Thank you, Pastor Eric. You're welcome. You're welcome. But, you know, really, I'm, I'm doing it because I, I want to be approved by him. But I want to take us over to, I, I think, uh, there's so much. I, this took me a little bit to, to figure out, maybe what's the big thing here? There's so much bigness in these four chapters. But I want to take us to what I'm going to call the attraction here tonight. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to just read some verses here. It's, we're going to start in verse 8. Everybody okay? Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Listen to that. Share with me in the sufferings for what? For the gospel. The sufferings for the gospel. There's no higher call in suffering than suffering for the gospel's sake. To the power according to the power of God. In other words, he's saying that you're able to do this because God's power will be there to meet you in your weakness, to meet you in your suffering, to meet you in persecution. It's an amazing thing. You read throughout church history, the church has always thrived and grown larger and gotten stronger when it's persecuted. So the the fact that I feel that the church right now is under some persecution like we haven't seen in some time, but I'm, I'm only encouraged by that. I just think this baby's about to start flexing her muscles. Hmm? The church is about to go to another level in the earth. And I, I believe that because Jesus Christ is building his church. And when he comes back for her, she's going to be a glorious bride. Huh? She's, she's getting stronger. Hmm? She's getting brighter. Jesus doesn't build something that's failing. Huh? He's building it. It's getting bigger taller, wider, stronger, greater. Amen. That encourages me. Amen. Who has saved us and called us? You know what that just said? If you're saved, then you're called. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Try to wrap your mind around that one for a second. Okay, we don't have time because it'll take you longer than a second to try to wrap your mind around that. Verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, but has now been revealed. So at one time before time began, God had all of this up, calling us, saving us uh, in Christ Jesus, according to his own purpose and grace, which is given in him. Now watch, but it's now been revealed when Jesus showed up by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, Thank God for that. Who has abolished death? Did you hear that? I said he has abolished death. And that death is a death that is an eternal death. That's what we're talking about. Now, right now, we, we face a death of this body. But, but even that death is a temporary death because there's one day when this body is going to be called up out of that grave. Hallelujah. And the dead in Christ are going to rise, and those who are alive and remain are going to meet the Lord in the air, meet together in the air. So ultimately, death is going to be completely swallowed up in victory. But the death that this is specifically speaking of is that separation from God, that eternal separation from God. And Jesus abolished that death. Thank God. Now watch this. He abolished, uh, having a, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel. 
You see what happens whenever the gospel is released from someone's mouth. There's this revelation that comes with it. There's this life, light, and immortality. It's like the life of God is in that message. Wow. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Here Paul is stating the whole reason he's here, to bring this gospel to people like us. Thank you, God, for Paul. Now, let's look over at 2 Timothy 4, verse 16 for a moment. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. That's a very kind thing for him to say. And he's talking about a, uh, a trial that he had, and according to historians, it was not a good trial. And, and his, the people who were supposed to represent him didn't show up, and so now Paul is thrown in this horrible horrible prison for, uh, in his final days. Uh, in Acts tw- chapter 28, you can read about where he was under a house arrest, basically, and could come and go and have people come and go and, and to see him, basically under one soldier's uh, uh, watch. And for about two years, it was that way. But when Nero came in and, and, and began to really bring persecution, Paul was rearrested and then taken to this horrific prison called the Mamertine Prison, which is basically a hole in the ground. You know what I find interesting about Paul in reading his letters? Uh, I was talking to someone about this last night. Uh, reading his letters, he never complains about being in prison. He never complains about the, the conditions that he's in, never complains about being hungry, never complains about the chains and the soreness he must be enduring and laying on a concrete floor and the smells that are down in places like that. Never complains about that. He only glorifies God. He always brings a hopeful message in those dark, hopeless places. What is it about this man? What did he have? He had revelation that went beyond those chains, went beyond those prison cells. He said, hey, I might be in chains, but the gospel isn't chained. You can't chain that message. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. Watch this and that all the Gentiles might hear. This is why we keep preaching this message, because we still got more Gentiles. All the Gentiles may hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I wish he told more about that story. Uh, but he just kind of throws that in there as, a, oh, by the way, I got rescued from a lion. I'm, what the, Paul, come on, talk to us about that a little bit. But the whole point of this is talking about his mission to people like us, to the Gentile people, which is basically almost the entire world, most of the world. Now, I want us to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, and this is is what I want you to take home with you tonight and, and chew on these next few days. He says this, I have fought the good fight, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept Everybody say this with me. Fight, finish, fortify. Fight, finish, fortify. Fight. See, this is what he said. I fought the good fight. Now, earlier in 1 Timothy, the first, the first letter to him, he tells Timothy, you fight the good fight of faith. Now Paul tells him, I have fought the good fight of faith. I am in your future. I am where you will be. 
But I'm telling you right now, Timothy, you're going to have to contend. You're going to have to fight this fight of faith. It is a fight. But here's the good thing. If you fight, you win. If you'll fight, you'll win. Come on, turn to somebody and tell them, if you'll fight, you'll win. All right, listen, God has given you, God has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's given you everything. He's given you every tool to win. Given you the entire armor of God. I mean, you, you have the victory. Jesus already actually undid the devil, unraveled his works, and so now he's saying, if you'll just fight, it's a fixed fight. You're already fighting a, a fight that's been won. <laughs> but you still have to fight. You have to do your part because God wants you, you to make the decision. He wants your will enforced. He wants you, your faith in action. All right? We're in this thing together. So you've got to fight the fight of faith. And if you'll fight by faith, you'll always win. Huh? Always. I, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I'm a little tired of seeing Christians, just, just a little bit. I, I love my brothers and sisters. I'm not here to bash anybody. I'm just a little tired of Christians when something goes wrong, watching them fall apart. Are you kidding me? You're acting like the rest of the world. You're acting like you, you don't have any hope. Come on. He has given you the victory. You're just going to lay down? You're going to curl up, put your thumb in your mouth? Huh? And be a baby about this? Are you going to fight? Come on. Jesus already secured your victory. If anybody had any reason to cry, it would be Him. Try just one hair of what Jesus went through. Oh, you think that boy leaving you? If somebody said this about you on social media and your whole life's falling apart, give me a flipping break. Come on, suck it up. Buttercup. <laughs> let's, be, let's be the people of God. We are here on demonstration. Our lives are not our own, my family. They're not our own. I'm not saying you're not going to have hurts, and I'm not saying those things aren't real. Please understand, I'm not trying to be unfeeling up here. I'm just saying we live by something greater than our emotions, greater than our feelings. We have this faith, and whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Amen. Can I just tell you, I'm talking to Eric Holler right now, too, as much as I'm talking to you. All right? I think about the, some of the ways that I've responded to things. I think, God, Lord, man, when are you going to grow up? Huh? Come on. Do this. Do this. Point your finger right here and say, grow up! All right? All right there you go. All right. Fight. Fight, you got to fight. If you'll fight, you'll win. That's the guarantee. Finish. He says, I have finished the race. See, your race is not over until you cross the finish line, my family. It's not over until you cross the finish line. I said, it's not over until you cross the finish line. You might get knocked down, but you'll get up again. Ain't ever going to keep you down. <laughs> huh? God didn't just give you a starting point. God has a finish line for you to cross. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. So since that's true, then God has an expectation of you and your race. He expects you to finish this deal. Amen. That blesses me. God didn't roll the dice with you and say, well, well let's see what this idiot will do. Huh? Oh, God said, hey, I've put you in a race, and I've built you, and I've fashioned you. I've given you every way to get from the starting blocks to that finish line. So run that race, and don't stop. If you fall down, get back up, and you keep running. 
Don't stop until you cross that finish line. Fulfill your call. Amen. And lastly, he says, I have kept the faith. That word keep is a powerful word. It, it literally means to build a fortress, to guard and to keep, to fortify your faith. Fortify, hold fast. How do you do that? You hold fast your confession of faith. You keep saying what God has said despite what you're seeing, despite what you're experiencing in your life. You keep saying the Word of God. You keep declaring His promise. Keep declaring His Word in your, in your marriage. Keep calling uh, those things that be not as though they were. Declare His Word over your children, over your finances, over your health, over your life in Jesus' name. Keep hearing His Word. Keep it coming. Keep confessing it. Know that God has given you that victory. Know that He's going to lead you in triumph every time. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So fortify your faith. Stay strong in it. Stay vigilant in it. Fight, finish, and fortify. Does that encourage you tonight? I'm almost through. 59 minutes into service so far. It'd be about this time, a, a pastor I used to serve, he'd say, and that was just the introduction. And we'd all go, ooh, really? I thought you should be wrapping this up now, Pastor. <laughs> I've sat where you've sat. I know. All right. Uh, a couple more things. 2 Timothy chapter 2, watch this. Another thing I just want you to, to think about. Well, I've, I've talked to you about this before, but this is so good. I just want to remind you of this truth. 2 Timothy 2, 19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. Isn't that good to know that God knows you? He knows those who are His. He, he doesn't forget any of His own. Praise God. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from our iniquity. So we know that we are His. And guess what that means? That means that we can depart from iniquity. Sin doesn't have to hold on to us because we belong to Him. All right, so you depart from iniquity. Now watch this. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, and some for dishonor. Now, if you stop right there, you will think that these vessels were designed to be such. Some were designed to be for honor. Some were designed to be for dishonor. Some were designed to be gold and silver. Some were designed of wood and clay. But watch this. That's not the end. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that is, the wood and the clay, he will be a vessel for honor. You know what that tells me? That all of them really are gold and silver. But some of them have dressed themselves. They've covered up their gold and silver with wood and clay. They let the filth of this world get on them. Hmm? Now watch this. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter... He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So this is what this teaches you. I want you to remember this. God is the one who determines your value. Notice where the vessel is. All those vessels, whether they are dishonorable vessels or whether they are honorable vessels, they are all in the house and they all belong to the master. Praise God. I love that. So then yet your, your performance then, uh, your sonship is not based on your performance. The fact that you're in the master's house does not have anything to do with your works, your good works or your bad works. It has to do with his grace and his mercy and his love for you. All right? So there you are in the house. But what a shame it would be for God's people to be in that house, valuable to be God, and yet refuse to be used. 
to just be a vessel sitting on a shelf collecting dust. Hmm? It says if he cleanses himself from the latter, then he will be uh, a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful. So God determines your value. And how valuable were you to God? You're worth, you're, God determined your value when the price tag was the blood of his own son. So you might feel unworthy at times, but that's a lie. You don't determine your worth. God determined your worth. And he said, you're worth the death of my son. Think about how precious you really are to him, how much he really loves you and how much he values you. But here's the thing. You determine your usefulness. That's on you. You can be like Isaiah, here am I, send me. Or you can be like some others. There she is, take her. Use her. Huh? If anyone cleanses himself from that, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Amen. So you make yourself useful. You say, Lord, use me. He's saying, hey, 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 make yourself useful. Amen. Okay, lastly, 2 Timothy chapter 4. The person of Jesus is where we're going to finish here. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now think about this. These are the last of his last words. These are the last of his last words. This is the last thing that Paul is going to write before he's beheaded for the gospel. He loves this boy, Timothy. He loves him with everything in him. You can, you can sense it. You can feel his love for him by the things he says to him and how endeared he is to Timothy and how Timothy has seen Paul go through so much. And even Timothy has endured some of those afflictions with Paul. Now here Paul is just a few days away from being beheaded, from losing his life, paying the ultimate price for preaching this gospel. What does he say to Timothy? What can he say to him? How can he encourage him? What what does he say? I mean, he loves him. Obviously, he doesn't want Timothy to die. He loves the boy. What does he say to him? Here he is in this Mamertine prison. It's dark. It's dank. And I can almost just see him with his face pressed up against those cell bars and peeking down that dark hallway and looking there at the end of that hallway at a chopping block that's blood-stained. Thinking about his last thing that he's going to say. He knows any time Nero's going to come for him, and it's over. It's the last thing I want to say to my son. Well, Timothy, this is where getting, this is where preaching the gospel gets you. I did all that I did, and this is where I ended up on death row. I'm not too sure this was the best decision. And because I love you, and I know that your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice both love you very much, and and I know that I'm a bit responsible for you before them. And knowing that, I would like to tell you maybe to just go home. Go 
build houses or something. What does he say to him? What does Paul say to his young son? So he starts off his last words with this. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. I mean, what what words this is. Now we see the person of Jesus as somebody that we are all accountable to. I want to remind you, Timothy, what this is all about. If I could tell you anything, Jesus is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is the one who died for our sins. But that life that you're living right now, every price that you're paying, every persecution, every struggle, every fail, all of it was going to come into account before this judge of the living and the dead. Everyone is going to stand before him. Every person will give account before the judge of the living and the dead. No one will escape that day. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to cut right to the truth, right to the heart of the matter, Timothy. Of all the things I'm telling you, the fact that that day's coming, the fact that the judge of the living, of the, of the living and the dead is going to appear. Preach the word! I'm sorry, I don't mean to yell. <laughs> Preach the word, boy. Give everything to this gospel. Because you're going to look at him. You're going to look at those nail-scarred hands. You're going to look at those nail-scarred feet. You're going to see the, the piercing, the, the scars on his side and upon his back when he took that horrible beating and those nails in his hands and feet. You're going to see the scars on his head when they beat that crown of thorns on his head. You're going to see what this man did to get this message to us. So I'm telling you, the fact that you're going to be standing before him, preach his message. Preach the word, Timothy. It might cost you your very life, but I'm telling you, preach it. Because at the end of the day, all that really matters is what the judge has to say. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is why we have, we have denominations on every corner all over the place. People believe in whatever they want. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. The moment they get offended at what the preacher says, they go, I'll go find another teacher then. Huh? Not accountable, not planted, won't stay. I'll go find another teacher, somebody else that will make me feel good. Hmm? I don't want to be accountable. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. How are, they going to set, how are the people going to get set free? How are they going to endure sound doctrine? How is that going to happen if somebody doesn't continually preach the word? We've got to stay on this. We've got to stay on this gospel. This is why we're called One Cause Church. Our cause is the cause of Christ. It is his message that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And all who believe on him will have everlasting life. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the message we will preach. That's the message we will continue to bring to this world. The good news that God was in Christ 
reconciling the whole world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. This gospel that we preach is a gospel of a risen Savior. This gospel that we preach is a crucified Savior. This gospel that we preach is a buried Savior. Hallelujah. This gospel that we preach is a gospel that is free. Free to all. A grace that abounds more than our sin. A love that was demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A message that says God blamed Jesus so he wouldn't have to blame you for your sin. He chose to blame his own son on your account. And now you're free if you'll simply believe it. Any believers here tonight? Amen. I want to encourage you, my family. Preach this word. Preach the word. Well, I don't know what to say. Yeah, you do. Say it. A verse of Scripture. Just a verse, something. Preach the word. This is the wisdom of the ages. This is the wisdom of God. People don't need more philosophy. Huh? They need something greater than just some motivational words, motivational speak. All that's good, self-help stuff. Okay, positive thinking, that's all good, but that don't really change your condition. The gospel is what changes. The gospel is what sets people free. And you have it in you. Hmm? Amen. That's why I keep saying it over and over again so that you never forget what our message really is. It is Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ risen. It's him, it's him, it's him, it's him, it's him. Are you hearing me? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this glorious gospel that has come to our ears. Thank you, Lord, that you called the Apostle Paul, who was willing to do whatever it took to suffer, whatever he had to suffer, God, so that the Gentiles could hear the gospel and believe. Lord, so grateful for that. So grateful for this message that found me. This good news, God, that changed everything for me, my wife, and my children. And for generations to come, my parents, my grandparents, Lord. God, how this message has affected us from generation to generation to generation. No telling what kind of roads we'd be on, what kind of destruction we'd be facing and the, the troubles, God. But if it wasn't for that message that came to us and put us on a road that leads to life and life evermore. Thank you, Father God, for your blessing upon all my family here, upon those, all those who are with us by um, uh, live stream and those listening by podcast. God, I thank you for the blessing of God upon them, that grace and peace would be multiplied to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us, help us, God, to, to remember what really this is all about, that we're not living life for this life. We're living our life for eternity, a life, God, that will go on and on and on. We get one shot. We get this one life, and then it's forever. God, help us to stay ready. Help us to keep that ready urgency in us, God, to be ready to give an account for the message that we have, to, to give an account for the life that we live, the relationship that we have with God, to anyone who inquires, anyone who asks, that we'll be bold to share with them the great love and grace of God and what you have done in us, God. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. Lord, bless your people. I thank you, God, 
for grace and peace to be multiplied to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that tonight when they go home, they will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make them dwell in safety. All of their children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be their peace. They shall know their God. They shall be strong and do exploits in the earth. Thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you, God, that you give your angels charge over your people and their families to keep them in all of their ways. Thank you for the precious, powerful blood of the new covenant, the blood of Jesus that cleanses us and covers our lives continually, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ is the man, Christ Jesus, the mediator between God and man. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that he is you are interceding for us right now, our high priest, thinking that we can come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And thank you for the Holy Spirit in us who's bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God and that we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father that you have brought us into the most intimate relationship that we could possibly have with this great God of ours, that we can call him Father. Thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.